poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Tactical Tuesday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. We got another Tactical Tuesday coming your way. Today, we're going to break down some hands from Season 8, Episode 5, specifically, of the latest iteration of High Stakes Poker. Everybody's playing 400-800, no limit, which is a stake where... I hope they respect the raises, but I'm not so sure. John, welcome back to Tactical Tuesday, sir. Hey, Brad. How have you been? I've been doing very well, sir. Very, very well. Um, just grinding. I played live poker for the first time in two years. Over this past weekend, I got stacked for 200 big blinds in the very first hand of live poker that I played in two years. So that was a nice little welcome back to the fold. Uh, but other than that, you know, I, I'm just, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be back home. Kind of crazy how much I miss home after just being gone for like three days. Yeah. First hand, you, you three bet pre-flop. Someone cold called from the small blind and ended up stacking you and you just lean back and like, ah, live poker. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, <laughs> so they, they flatted with a hand that, well, I'm not sure you're supposed to flat with any hands, but very specifically, you're not supposed to flat with the hand that they flatted with. But mostly my major concern was like, I didn't expect the bigger games to be running or like a 5-10-20 in Cherokee. And it was, so I had limited funds. So I was like freaking out, just trying to get more money my way uh, so that I didn't like go broke in the first, you know, hour or so. All right, so... Should we get to the high stakes poker hands? We've never done anything like that. I'm pretty excited to try this format out. Yeah, let's see. Let's see how it goes. All right. So hand number one, uh, like Brad said, it's 400, 800. We're seven-handed. This hand starts, uh, it's a hand between Tom Dwan, Bryn Kenny, and Brandon Steven. Bryn Kenny opens under the gun with ace three of diamonds uh, to 2,500. Brandon Steven calls uh, with pocket sevens. Uh, Tom Dewan wakes up on the button with ace, king of spades, and three bets to $12,000. Uh, both Bryn and Bren Stephen call. I don't know. Do you want to talk about preflop at all? I, I think everything Not is really. I mean, everything's fairly normal. I think that, like, flatting with sevens is a little bit questionable, especially with, like, Tom Dewan behind you on the button. But everybody's playing with tons of money, so... You know, there's yeah. a lot of lot of depth and playability and all that jazz. Yeah, like uh, Tom Dwan and Kenny, who are kind of like the main players in this hand, are 885 big blinds effective. <laughs> uh, so it's yeah, a lot pretty, of big blinds. Yeah, they're pretty deep. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so we got $38,000 in the pot. The flop is ace-king three with two hearts. Everybody checks to Tom. He bets 22000 by online set. Oh, I guess I'll finish the action first. So... Dwan C bets 22,000 into 38. 
Brendan Kenny calls with his top and bottom pair. Uh, Brandon Stevens bowls his pocket sevens. Um, so this is about a two-thirds pot C-bet in a multi-way pot. I don't know, just from online, by online standards, this would be massive, massive size C-bet multi-way, I think. Um, I'm way more used to seeing closer to a third. Yeah, but this depth, like all this depth, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm not exactly sure how to play, uh, you know, 700 big blinds deep here, whether, you know, Tom wants to start out by just going super polar on the flop when he's got nut advantage and then just pound turns and rivers, you know, when he has hands like queen jack, queen 10, um, or some sort of flush draw, like maybe that's just how he wants to structure his line here at this depth. And yeah, I'm just going to trust, I'm going to trust in Mr. Dwan to know what he's doing, playing it at these depths and just, yeah, I think that like, there's probably something for not only the listener, but for us also to learn. Yeah. Okay. So uh, again, like, like you, I guess I'll defer to, to Dwan at a thousand big blinds effective, um, on, on C betting strategy. But like, like you said, like if I was going to polarize on this board, I feel like I would go bigger than two thirds. If that was my plan, I would just go close to plot or something like that. Um, that's a fair, maybe like minimum three that's quarters. Fair. Yeah. It, this, it, this it's size, fair. I don't know, sort of felt, felt kind of in between like wasn't a hundred percent sure, like whether this is better than betting a third or better than betting like three quarters. So anyways, well, one thing, point. one thing Dwan doesn't know is that like Bryn's going to call and that Steven's is going to fold. Right. So like and Steven maybe, is significantly shorter than, than Bryn. Right. So maybe choosing this sizing can also target Steven in the chance that like Steven flats, Tom can like run a three street bluff um, with enough depth versus that player specifically, because yeah, we're operating with information that Tom doesn't know. And that like, Steven's obviously going to fold and Bryn's obviously going to call. Yeah. And Steven only has 200 big blinds, a, a, a meager 200 big blind stack. So <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, meager, 200, meager $200,000 stack. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. yeah. And, you know, we listened to the commentary before and Gabe Kaplan was pretty convinced that like Kenny was going to check raise here. And this is just like not a board that Kenny is going to be check raising with top and bottom pair versus a polarized bet. Yeah. I, I would almost think that like Kenny just shouldn't have a check raise range on this board. Right. Is that, is that what you're saying? Like you just, it's almost never going to find a. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he, a value like, hand that's like excited about getting all the money in on this board. And it's, it's yeah. Yeah. And like, plus, you know, with Dwan polarizing, like, let's give him an opportunity. You know, if we have like a set of trays to just put lots of money in the pot on the turn and river with his, you know, with the bottom end of his polarization. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm, I mean, regardless, I'm on board with the check. Uh, sorry. I'm on board with the check call over the check raise. Um, the turn is the, is another three. So it's ace king, three, three, Bryn, Boats up on the turn. Tom still has top two pair with ace king. Again, Bryn just Bryn has ace three of diamonds. Um, there's eighty two thousand dollars in the middle on the turn. Juan C bets turn again for fifty five thousand. Um, Bryn falls. Yeah, I think like the turn put up a double flush draw, I believe. So there were two clubs and two hearts on the board. Yep. So double flush draw. Um, again, Bryn with. Tom polarizing here, like you certainly don't want to just raise and target Kings full or aces full uh, with your 
ace tray. So like, again, let's let Tom continue barreling um, with the bottom end of his polarized range, like his gut shots, his hard draws, his backdoor club draws. And like, we can also get a bet out of Tom on most rivers as well. Uh, I'm way more, way more comfortable with Tom sizing on this turn too. Like uh, just in three bet pots. Um, I don't know. Like I think two thirds is uh, two thirds and one third are probably the most commonly used sizings on the turn um, with probably a bunch of checking included as well. So the size isn't too surprising or, or alarming to me in any way. We go to the river, which is, well, let's the, talk about uh, too, like the, you know, what Tom has, right. He's got top two pair mm-hmm. and choosing this is like a value size. So going polar like this is yeah tom's clearly value betting here the tray is not like a concerning card i mean bryn's gonna have a couple you know a couple combos of ace tray and then like one combo of trays but then also like some ace queen ace jack uh the board kicker plays and with tom going polar he's likely gonna get called by a lot of like worse hands yeah i agree uh, the river is the 10 of hearts. So now the board is ace, king, three, three, 10. Uh, the 10 of hearts brings in the front door flush draw. So hearts get there. There's $192,000 in the middle. Um, Duan gets checked to, and he decides to bet around half pot, 95,000. I, I guess we can talk about Tom sizing first. This, again, this is like a sizing that I don't see very often uh, in my games. Um, half pot on the river. I guess often doesn't happen in three bet pots because I'm playing a hundred big blinds deep usually. So, uh, you know, if you've taken this flop and turn sort of sizing scheme, uh, by the time you get to the river, you're usually jamming or, or giving up <laughs> and there isn't much for the list for the listener, John, like, uh, could you explain what a sizing scheme is? Oh, just, uh, what I meant by that was, uh, Tom deciding to bet two thirds on the flop and two thirds on the turn instead of, you know, betting small on the flop and then his two thirds sizing on the turn would also be smaller because the pot is smaller on the turn. And so he uh, probably has different like sizing options like available to him on the, on the river um, when he does that versus when he goes two thirds, two thirds. Yeah. So I actually, here's where I'll go away from Mr. Dewan. I don't, Personally, I don't love the half pot sizing here. Uh, it's it's always tricky and difficult for me to go against the best players who ever live, you know, in a format like this. So, like, I'm always hesitant. But my preference would be going a third on the river. I think that like a third gets called by the hands that you're targeting specifically. Um, the ten of hearts is just. I mean, what's interesting about the ten of hearts? Maybe it's not as bad of a turn or a river as we might suspect because with Tom polarizing both streets, Bryn has the opportunity to check raise with, you know, to check raise with a lot of his hard draws or to just check fold the turn, you know, once the tray pairs and Tom's going polar, like he shouldn't have a ton of hard draws like in his range there. So I, I guess that the 10 of hearts looks scarier than it actually is. But with that said, like from Bryn's perspective, it's going to be quite scary because it completes a lot of the polarized uh, bottom end of the polarized range that, you know, Tom had on the turn. So like, yeah, I think that like here when Tom bets, he doesn't have a ton of bluffs or natural bluffs anymore. So like one third, one third would be my preferred sizing. Yeah, no, I really like that logic. I think 
thinking about it now in that lens, um, you know, Tom's polarizing range on the flop and turn are going to probably include hearts and maybe hands like queen jack or jack 10 um, uh, for the bluff portion of his range. And, and now when he gets to the river, which is the 10 of hearts and a lot of those, a lot of that bluff uh, region of his range gets completed. Um, now he no longer has a ton of bluffs to pick from. And when you don't have very many bluffs, uh, you know, it makes a lot of sense to pick a smaller size. And, and yeah, I agree with you that uh, I'd probably, I like going a third here on the river as well. Once the 10 of hearts peels. Yeah, so this this situation now, I got wrong when we were looking the hand back um, because just I had I had not seen these hands before, and so like I did not expect Bryn to raise the river with his trays full of aces, and yet he does. So tell tell us what size did Bryn raise to, John? Sure. So Duan bets ninety five thousand on the river and. Bryn check raises to 285,000, leaving himself 312,000 behind. Uh, just as a reminder, Tom has Bryn Kenny covered. What do you think about the check raise on the river, John? So the check raise is, uh, I'm, I'm going to quote uh, something that Brad has said to me multiple times in our coaching sessions, is that when you don't have the nut, when you just can't have the nuts or very many nutted hands, in general, you want to stay away from reopening the action. And that was like one of the first thoughts that I had when this hand went down. When I saw that Bryn decided to check raise, I thought, wow, like, you know, 2005 Tom Dwan or whatever, 2008 Tom Dwan that I used to watch, like, he's just going to rip this in his face and rep, like, aces or kings. I almost think that, like, you know, it's sort of nice when you have an ace and a king and you, like, tell yourself, like, oh, cool, like, I have, like, the perfect, like, blockers, I guess, to run this bluff. But I don't think his hand even matters because, like, Bryn never has aces or kings once it goes, once he opens pre and Dwan three bets and he does a four bet um, under the gun. I assume he would format well, those hands. Bryn may have quads though. Sure. So I mean, he Bryn has the one combo of quads, which may not seem like much, but it is something that Bryn does. Bryn actually does have the nuts here. Tom doesn't have trays ever. Yeah, that's yeah. Okay. Maybe that's a good point. And like, it's it sort of, that may, might affect like what we view Bryn's check raise range to be on the river. Right. Like if he, if he knows that he has quads and he, don't know how many like other hands he's check raising on the river i mean he clearly check raises hands like ace three it could just be ace tray and quads really like yeah, i mean that's the that's the only thing that like makes sense hmm. and i mean tom is blocking the the boats with the ace tray boats as well with his ace king so right um yeah. and so that would make me want to just at three bet the river more in tom's shoes it's like i have the one of the cards that blocks his the the only boat that he decides to check raise on the river probably um and now i'm only worried about running into quads yeah i think i, I think this is another reason why i like the one third bet on the river too is like it, when you bet smaller on the river you can imagine that bryn's going to expand his value check raising range and maybe that's going to include some like nut flushes on the river so like maybe Bryn expands his value check raising range, which means that like it's a lot more justifiable to rip it in with like your ace king when you're blocking the nut boats. Right. Another benefit of sizing smaller on the river is that uh, Tom would be able to rip it in for presumably a larger amount than you know than uh, than he would here. Like Bryn has basically put in half his stack on the river, and it's pretty scary to bet three bet bluff when you know that the Tech Razor is going to get an incredible price on the river because he only has 312,000 left. Yeah. And you notice something too, like when 
Tom got check raised on the river. If you want to share it with the the listener. Oh yeah. Um, so Juan puts out his ninety five thousand. Bryn Kenny thinks for a little bit. Check raises to two hundred eighty five, and Tom instantly just he shifts his body weight. He he may, you know he changes his facial expression, and you can just tell everyone can tell that like he's thinking about calling or folding. You know, you got raised, and he's like, oh, like I have top two pair. Should I call or should I fold? And I was actually when I remember watching this and being like really disappointed by that reaction and that like. I would have expected someone of Tom's caliber to like understand that he has a huge, 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 what feels like a huge nut advantage here in my mind. And, you know, wouldn't instantly let off that he's thinking about calling or folding and he would kind of retain the option of uh, bet three bet jamming, which once he does this hemming and hawing thing, facing Prince check raise, he can't do that anymore. Um, so I, I was honestly a little disappointed by that, you know, given that like Tom was definitely one of my heroes growing up watching you know, poker on poker after dark or, or high stakes poker. It's pretty sad to see that he didn't find the, or he didn't even consider the bet three bet rip there. Well, we don't know the context, right? Like it could be late, could be a end of a 20 hour session. Who knows? Like the reason, oh, yeah, yeah. but this like was, uh, this, this hand did happen very late. It was like very late. It was like one of the last hands of the show, I believe. Yeah. So we don't really know what was going on specifically, but I'm actually with you that like, it seems innocuous to, when you're at a decision where like you're not going to raise to you know sigh and just obviously go into a mode where everybody knows because you have nothing to hide right like you have nothing to hide you're either calling or folding so you're not raising but i i think that like when you do do that in the future people will recognize that like if you don't do that that means something and that's information that could be used against you and that's another thing to like bear in mind as it relates to like just staying stoic throughout the the entirety of the hand right right yeah you like i agree that's i think that's such a such a huge tip especially i mean uh especially for live poker um yeah just kind of keep it keep it together even when you think that the decision is obvious or you only have two choices because that might not be the case and like five minutes or like two minutes into your tank you might realize that and then like also realize that like oh wow i can't bet three bet this spot after my like hideous physical meltdown in front of everybody. True. And then like when you get raised in the future and you don't do that, like they know you're thinking about something, right? Like they know that three betting is on the table, like calling is not on the table anymore. And that's that, that could be very, very important, a very important data point to use against you. But I mean, again, like I've never seen Tom do anything like that historically. So again, we're missing context. I'm very hard. I, is, I'm finding I'm finding it very difficult to uh, criticize <laughs> criticize yeah. Durr here um, or Bryn Kinney just because like I don't know man they they're kind of living legends of the game and I I very much respect respect all the things that they do but yeah I think that like river sizing by Dwan I would have done something different and then the the reaction on the river certainly think that that could have been done better. With that said, we'll lead into the hand number two, which is once again, Bryn Kinney and Brandon Steven. Stick around after the break for this breakdown of the latest season of High Stakes Poker, a giant, giant pot. You've survived preflop boot camp. You've shot the fish in a barrel. Now, prepare yourself for the feeding frenzy. A comprehensive strategy for gutting every fish in your player pool. Data-driven hero bluffs, light call-downs, and perfect value bets. 
that are maximally designed to hurt some feelings. Feeding Frenzy. Available now at ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash Feeding Frenzy. Welcome back to this high stakes poker edition of Tactical Tuesday. John, let's dive straight into hand number two. Sure. So same show, same season, season eight, episode five, playing 400, 800, no limit hold'em. Bryn Kenny is under the gun plus one. He opens ace of spades, jack of diamonds, ace jack offsuit. Brandon Steven is two seats behind him in the hijack. He has jack 10 of hearts and decides to three bet. Bryn calls. We go to a flop of jack 8 10 with two diamonds, $19,000 in the middle. Brandon Steven decides to see bet $10,000, right about half pot with his top pair, gut shot, backdoor flush drop. Bryn check raises to 35000 with uh, his ace jack. He does have the jack of diamonds, so he does have a backdoor diamond draw to go along with his gut shot and two overs. I think there's a lot to unpack here. I think firstly, you know, yeah. Bryn's calling the three bet preflop out of position with ace jack off. I don't know exactly why, but that's certainly a deviation from what it ought to look like. You know, I don't know if he's banking on being able to exploit Brandon Steven some point down the line. I'm not really sure. Maybe he just doesn't care and he's got an ace and a jack and he's just going to play the ace and a jack. I, I doubt that's the case, but also, you know, I really like Brandon Stevens um, choice to three bet here with the Jack 10 suited. I think that's well done. And Bryn flatting again, like, you know, you can make the argument that like you can make the argument of four bet this hand uh, versus flatting it. But again, I, I don't know what Bryn knows. So I'm very hesitant to criticize. Yeah, I'm sort of with you on this one. We we talked about how in the last hand, some of the things might be wonky regarding sizing because we just don't play or study 1,000 big blind poker or 800 big blind poker. One thing that I'm fairly confident in, though, is that the deeper you get, the types of hands that you want to be flatting through bets with, especially out of position, are not hands like ace-jack offsuit. Um, I think those hands become more easy to fold the deeper you get simply because you... Uh, don't make nutted hands very often. And when you're very, very, very deep, I think the value of being able to make the nuts uh, goes up a lot. So, yeah, I mean, they just to give the listeners a little bit of context, they're 400 big, about 400 big blinds deep. Uh, Kenny starts a hand with 589,000. Brand Steven starts with 318,000. So yeah, not 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 a big fan of the uh, the call preflop by Bryn. Um, everything else, though, I think is is pretty reasonable preflop. <laughs> Uh, yes. His other his other decision was yeah, to open the ace jack. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that was great. Um, yeah. But <laughs> number two is a little bit questionable. Uh, yeah. But with that said, you know, here we are seeing a flop of seven, eight tray with two diamonds, uh, the 10 and the seven of diamonds, the eight of hearts. Like you said, you know, I'll just repeat for the audience so that, you know, they come along for the ride. Um, Steven did. Brandon Steven did value uh C bet 10K, uh, which is about a third, right? Yep. It's almost exactly a third. I think that's honestly that like that's a question in itself. Like, are you C betting this flop as the pre-flop three better very frequently with this hand? He has top pair and a gut shot. It's a very, very wet connected board. Yeah, I don't think so. Like the hands that you get called by are 
it's going to be tough. Like you face a check raise, life is going to be very, very difficult. We're not going like playing a three street value game. I think this board just favors Bryn more than it favors us. And so like, I, I think that like Jack 10 of hearts specifically uh, would just be like a pure check back to me. Yeah. And you know, I presume you'd also be checking back hand, like even stronger hands than that, like aces. Um, yeah, of course. Of course. We can't just like check back all our marginal strength hands. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And, and I think we'll see this sort of bite Steven uh, later in the hand, his decision to see about this flop. Um, it does yeah. because it gets check raised <laughs> to 35 yeah. K here. You know, Bryn's sizing on the turn uh, on the flop. I think that he could have gone bigger with his check raise. But again, like in, in the words of you, uh, the sizing scheme, maybe he's just setting up a three street, three street bluff. And so choosing this small sizing to start out with, it's hard to know exactly. Yeah. And then just to reiterate, like kind of how, what sorts of spots like C betting this flop can get get you into when you're the three better preflop, like calling when getting, when you have Jack 10 of hearts on seven, eight, 10, two diamonds with one heart, fine. Getting check raised doesn't feel that painful. It's not that scary. You just get the call pretty comfortably, but when you have like Queens or Kings on seven, eight, 10, and, and you're the route to like improvement and like showdown is just way murkier. I, I think like facing this check raise is just, uh, especially from a capable player like Bryn is just uh, an absolute nightmare, which is again, why I think I'd be, happy to check back the swap maybe with range as the pre-flop three better for sure for sure but um as played you know brandon steven does flat the check raise and we had to turn you can break down the action sure so the board is now seven eight ten jack of clubs on the turn the flush does not get there but there is a four liner the open ender did get there on the river there's 89 or on the turn there's eighty nine thousand dollars in the middle uh bryn decides to fire sixty nine thousand with his turn top pair uh brandon steven has Turns top two pair with Jack Ten. He decides to call the sixty nine thousand. I I sort of feel like this is a, a little bit of a decision point for Bryn. Like once he turns top pair, I, I don't know if you agree. If you think so, um, I think the the blueprint to what Bryn is trying to do is materializing. Like it, he's obviously just running a three street bluff here, and the four liner from you know his perception is that like. Brandon Steven is going to be betting his overpairs. That has to be the perception, right? That like Brandon Steven's betting his overpairs on this flop. And so Bryn is just check ranging against or check raising against a range that's C betting inappropriately in a three bet pot going for the exploit. Right, right. And there was pretty an interesting thing that happened on the turn. You know, when the jack came off the deck, Bryn looked down at his chips. And Brandon Steven was looking very specifically at Bryn. And so I don't know if Bryn is uh, executing a reverse tell there or if he's just the kind of sicko that like looks down at his chips, happy to put money in the pot when like good bluff cards come off. But it was something that I, I took away and it was pretty obvious. He just like looks down at his chips very clearly when the turn card peeled off and then kind of looked back up before deciding to go ahead and bet 69,000. Yeah, I think he actually looked down at his chips and then actually glanced at Brandon Steven to see if he was looking at him, looking down at his chips right after he did. So yeah, definitely could be some some, uh, some more levels of sickness here going on with, with Brandon throwing out reverse tells or, or like you said, who knows, maybe. Him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, 
for for whatever it's worth, it's very smooth. You know, it was a very it, everything looked very very smooth. There was no like, it was just a gesture that was executed amazing. Like, I mean, just it's hard to give off reverse tells. Like, to be honest, it, it's very difficult. Everything in your body fights against it because you're going against like your natural biology. And so, like, hats off to Bryn if he's able to just do this um, and make it look very organic and natural, that's pretty insane to me. Yeah. I didn't even notice it the first time. I only noticed it after you mentioned it to me. Um, you want to head to the river? Yeah, let's head to the river. So Brandon Steven calls uh, Bryn's polarized, almost pot-sized bet here. I don't think there's really anything other than calling for Brandon Steven to do. Like Bryn is repping, some sort of like flopped, uh, flop straight. So like Jack nine, I think Jack nine is the most obvious one. And he only has, you know, Jack nine of diamonds and Jack nine of spades at this point from Brandon Stevens perspective to go along with like some flush draws and some combo draws. So like really just getting two to one in position, you can't fold, even though it is a four liner on the turn. Right. And you, you all, you don't think that Brandon Steven needs to be worried about Bryn having a set, which is also a hand that beats Jack and tens simply because Bryn probably would not bet the turn for that size or. I don't think so. Like I, I would not think that Bryn would check raise the flop with like a set of sevens and then on the four liner go polarize and just open the door for like Brandon Steven to just jam and deny equity. Like that doesn't seem like doesn't, there's no way to know for sure, but I don't think that's how he would structure his strategy there. Yeah, I agree. I think that's, I think it's very unlikely as well that Bryn would size, uh, size his turn better, bet the turn at all, maybe even with a, with a set, once he decides to check raise the flop. So heading to the river, uh, the board is Jack 10, eight Jack. The river is a black three. Um, beautiful card for Bryn to keep running his bluff. Uh, I assume there's $227,000 in the middle actually maybe Bryn would have preferred like a three of diamonds or something <laughs> a little extra scare in there but um so seven eight ten jack three uh Bryn fires out hundred forty seven thousand dollars into 227 on the river um this is i think the sizing was uh especially interesting to me because steven had slightly less than a pot size bet behind on the river i think he had just over two hundred thousand, and Bryn decided i think he it looks like he like very consciously decided to size slightly smaller than uh, what Brandon Steven had left. I know for me personally that I would just put the whole thing in, thinking that that you know might have like a slightly larger psychological effect than you know having some chip, chips left when you when you make a bad call in the river or something or a, a, a close call in the river. But yeah, Brandon decides to go one forty seven instead of like the two oh two. Yeah, and I'm not really sure why, but again, hats off to Bryn because like it's about risk first reward. The thing that I would be very concerned about is, you know, when villains do choose this sizing, the first thought that goes in my mind is, oh, they're trying to save money in case they get called, right? Like it's very easy to just jam when you have value and then use that smaller sizing to kind of conserve a little bit of big blinds when you, your bluff mm. does get picked off. Mm. So like, and this is clearly what's happening here, but Brandon Steven needs to have awareness that it's happening. And if he doesn't have awareness that it's happening, then it's really a good move. It's very, uh, again, very gutsy by Brand by, uh, Bryn Kinney 
to recognize this and execute it in real time because like you have to be working under the assumption that Brandon Steven is not going to notice that. Yeah. I think this is, ins- it is incredibly gutsy. Like you said, like I, I just, the, I think that shows that like Brent definitely has, uh, is thinking like another kind of level above, uh, at least like myself, like I, I would just be like, Oh, he has slightly less than pot on the river. I'm bluffing. I'm putting, I'm just putting the whole thing in like without too much thought, I think. Um, I'd be putting it in too. So, I mean, obviously like Brent Kinney is thinking on another level of pretty much every other human poker player uh, while he's playing the game tactically in the world. Yeah. He's just, he's a world-class player for a reason. And I think that like the subtlety here of using the smaller bet size, the subtlety of looking down at his chips. I mean, it's really just kind of a masterclass. It's just yeah. ex- exceptionally well done. Yeah. Tech raising small on the flop. Like you said, like that, that just set up everything else on the turn and river. Just, man. It's just very. It's a very well played hand by Bryn Kinney, and you can't. You can't even fault like. You can't fault Brandon Steven either. Like, you know, he, he's doing the things that he's supposed to do. Uh, I would say that like, Bryn only has a few combos of value here on the river, like with Jack Nine suited and like with the pot odds bottle. Bryn doesn't need to be bluffing that often in order for you to call. So like, I think that Brandon Steven ought to call the river, but like, it's understandable that he didn't. Yeah, it's also way easier to say that when it's like not our 150k that we have to put in on the middle on a four liner against Brintenny. But the beautiful thing uh, about math is, doesn't matter how much how much money is in play, it all stays the same. The equity thresholds are all the same, no matter what game you're playing or the stakes or anything. So, like, you know, you're right though. Like, obviously, it's a lot of money and there's a lot of pressure that can cloud judgment in these spots. But I think that like without clouded judgment, without pressure. Just looking at it objectively, Brandon Steven should call the river here. What do you think about Bryn uh, deciding to flat the ace-jack preflop now that we see that he can do this sort of stuff? I have no idea. I still, <laughs> like, I mean, you know, you're going to get a, a spectrum of different boards and uh, it's going to face a ton of different situations. Like, in this specific situation, he looks very obviously like a genius, but it wouldn't be hard to imagine other situations where it didn't turn out that way. And so like, I still don't know about his decision to flat preflop. I mean, maybe he knows that like Brandon Stevens going to be, uh, folding too often to like check raises, or maybe there's some like downstream exploit that like we're unaware of that Bryn Kinney is aware of. So again, like it, it's, it's hard, really hard to judge just based on the information that we have. I was, I was mostly just kidding. I don't think I would advocate for flying its check offsuit in Bryn's shoes. But hey, if 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 you're this skilled post-flop, then then maybe uh maybe you can start thinking about it. Well, I don't think Brennan's clicking buttons. I think like there's a rhyme and a reason behind what he's what he's doing. And I've said it before on this podcast, like when people do things that are obviously playing at a high level and you don't understand them, it's always worthy to investigate and at least try to find the merits or the reasons why they might do what they're doing. And like sometimes, yeah, they just screw up like because they're human beings and like human beings are fallible and they make mistakes and and, like that's a reason why somebody might do something unexpected but the flips like the flip side is you gain something that you can use in your own game that will be valuable down the road and so like there's no downside to investigating and tons of upside all right just um as a closing note for the listeners um we'll include the timestamps for both of these hands in the description of the of this tactical Tuesday. So if you want to go back and, and see these hands for yourselves on PokerGo. Um, Got to get a PokerGo subscription. 
yeah. Gotta get a Poker Go subscription to go back and watch it. But yeah, we'll give you the timestamps. And for the record, you know, uh, Brandon Seaman folded the river and Bryn Kinney, you know, looks like the stud that he is. We got it. We should get some checks from Poker Go or something. Sending <laughs> people their way. <laughs> Sitting the people Poker Go's way. Well, man, I think that's going to do it for this episode of Tactical Tuesday. Thank you, John, as always, for your high-level analysis and being a great co-host in that beautiful, silky, smooth voice of yours. Thank you. <laughs> With that said, we'll catch you next week on Tactical Tuesday. See you guys. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.